But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 10-17 I solemnly urge you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. stand with me one final time this morning. We are in a series that's called What is the Church? And in this series, we're just kind of looking at what makes up the church and and what are some of the elements that take place when we gather together. Um, Last week, we dove really deep in looking at the Word of God and how we know that it is true and that it's living and that it's powerful. And I'm really excited at the end of the service today we're going to have the opportunity to give out Bibles to um, our kids who are going into the second grade and in the si- going into the sixth grade with Bible translations that are geared right for their reading level. Because as a church, we really do, it's not just lip service, we really believe in developing biblically sound believers who reflect Christ's character. And so we want to come alongside families and join with them in um, this spiritual growing of their children and seeing them become the men and women of God that God has called them to be. So I'm really excited for that, and that's going to take place here at the end of this service. So last week we talked about the Word, and this week I'm going to do something I've never done before, and that's going to be weird for me. I'm going to be preaching about preaching. (laughs) Because every church that you go to, it does not matter if you are in America, it doesn't matter if you're in Saudi Arabia, it doesn't matter if you go to anywhere in the Middle East or South America, North America, the Antarctica, if there's churches in Antarctica, I have no idea. That'd be kind of a cool place to go to church. (laughs) What did you do today? Well, I almost froze to death and I went to church. Um, But yeah, so today we're going to be looking at preaching and why that takes place in the church and and why that kind of happens. And so um, what we found here in the text that we just read is Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And I want you to, to see the, the counsel that he gives him. He challenges him to remain faithful to what he's been taught, but he also says, I solemnly urge you. And he goes on to say, preach the word. Okay? This is something that Paul was passionate about. Not, Timothy, preach your ideas, your thoughts, the thoughts of your culture. He says, preach the word because it's the word of God that is living and powerful so let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us today through his word that we'd be challenged by it father 
we are so thankful that your presence is here. God, we are so thankful for your word. It's living, it's mighty, it's powerful, it changes us, it shapes all that we think, all that we do, all that we believe. Lord, we pray that we would leave here today as changed people. God, I pray that we would leave here today as challenged to be more fully devoted to your word and to you, Jesus. We give you thanks, we give you praise, and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. Before you grab a seat, if you would turn to someone right next to you and tell them, who is your favorite high school teacher in your favorite subject in high school? And lunch can count. <laughs> we could have maybe really stirred the pot and said, who is your least favorite teacher? <laughs> and why? <laughs> right? I love it. Um, I want to start this morning by, by looking at the fact that what is taught matters. What is taught matters. We believe as a society in the importance of education. Um, I hate to break this to many of you in the room if you're a teenager, but tomorrow or this week at some point, many of you go back to school. It's been a delightful summer, but the end is near. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, <laughs> I refuse. In Indiana, um, it's required 170 to about 180 days of school are required. And when there's too many days that are missed, like we take too many snow days, what happens? They just extend the year <laughs> or they snatch other ones from you. I remember a couple years ago, whenever they tried to make kids go back on like Saturdays because there had been so many snow days and parents were like, nope. <laughs> Um, but we place a high importance to ensure the proper time frame is spent being educated because we value education, but it's not just the time in, we, we value what's taught, correct? All right, so for, I'll give you an example of this. Like, uh, my kids are homeschooled. If I really wanted to mess with them, <laughs> we could be like, two plus two is seven <laughs> and see how that goes, right? Give that a little bit of years and then suddenly that false teaching that's been put into them, we've got some issues, right? They go to build their first barn. What's going to happen when two plus two is seven? <laughs> right? It's going to look like dad built it. Um, <laughs> no, we, we care greatly about what is taught because what is taught matters. We want people to be spending time in being educated. We want to make sure that what's being taught to them. I don't know if you know this, but this has started to happen in some areas of the world right now. It is being taught that the Holocaust never happened. Okay or that it was just greatly exaggerated, okay? And what happened is this, though, is that if you can teach the next generation and if you can slip in lies, then a lot of bad things can happen. History repeats itself. Um, I, I've been to the Holocaust Museum. My dad has had the chance to actually walk through Auschwitz. And can I tell you something? It's important to know the truth, and it's important to be taught the truth. And so who is teaching matters also. We don't just let anyone walk into a classroom and teach our kids. At least I hope not. Like, that would be bad. <laughs> we demand credentials that prove that they've studied, that they know that they have the ability to teach. And when, again, this false teaching is done wrong, I'll give you an example of this. In North Korea and in Iraq, under these brutal dictatorships, one of the ways that they keep their power is through teaching false narratives. Okay. If you've ever read anything about the North Korean people, some of the things that their dictators have taught them and told them, it's astounding. I'll give you one example. Anybody in here ever play golf? 
Raise your hand if you've played golf before. If, raise your hand if you have any concept of it all about what golf is, okay? I've played golf for a really long time, and it's uh, the way that I test my Christianity. Um, <laughs> but, but this is what I have found. In all the years I've playing, I, I have never once on a hole hit a hole in one, ever. That feat is, it's so hard, it's astronomical, the chances of doing it. The North Korean dictator has actually convinced his country that the very first time he ever played golf, he supposedly had 11 holes in ones. <laughs> right? You see, now I, I tell you this and I start this way because preaching matters. Preaching matters because what is taught matters. You see, for the first time, what we find here is those dictators, as they're challenging their people and, and they're telling them these false truths, they're twisting what they think and what they believe. We just came out of a series in this church where we slowly looked, looked through the book of Galatians. From May all the way until about a week ago, we, we slowly walked through this book where Paul is talking to the Galatians and he's saying there's false teachers that have crept in your midst. And if you believe what they say, you are basically cutting yourself off from Christ. You're forsaking salvation. That's a huge issue. And it happened because false teachers had crept in. And so what we find is this, is it doesn't matter what state, it doesn't matter what country, what nation, what continent you go to. Whenever you enter a church, one of the things you can expect to hear is a sermon. But then the question is, is why? What is happening? What is going on here? And what's the precedent for that? So let's look at this. I want you to, I'm going to take you through a brief timeline of preaching in Scripture, okay? Preaching in Scripture. Number one. Genesis chapter 1, right? You open up your, your Bible to the very first chapter, and what you find out is that God is a preacher. In the beginning, God spoke, and it had to happen. The first sermon that was delivered, what came from God is he's speaking to all of creation, and he's forming it, and he's shaping it, and he's bringing it into being. As he proclaimed truth, darkness was pushed back. New life came into being, and things changed. And the same is true today is that whenever the Holy Spirit speaks through the word of God, darkness is pushed back. Life and hope come in and new creations happen. From there, still in Genesis, we see that God speaks to Abraham and he directs him and he guides him by his word. We get to Moses and God speaks and gives instruction to him and he gives it to the people. In Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel and he says to them, listen, you need to hear my words. And as families, you need to take what you have been taught and you need to invest that into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And Moses was a powerful man of God who spoke. We get to David. David in Psalms chapter 119, it's the longest book of the Bible and it's the longest chapter in the book of the Bible. And he's speaking about his beautiful love for God's word. He says that it's cherished. It's like honey that's on his lips. We get to the prophets. And God guides and he corrects and he convicts and he encourages and he challenges and he revives the people of God by his word. Then we get to the New Testament. We look at the fact that they would gather together at the synagogue. As Judaism spread, people would quickly and start going to synagogue to hear from the scriptures because they couldn't travel to the temple. And they were taught by trusted teachers who had studied. And they did this on the Sabbath, which was a Saturday. So you might be wondering, well, why are we gathered here on a Sunday? <laughs> well, the reason for that is because after Jesus rose from the, from the dead, and he rose from the grave, he did so on a Sunday morning. And so the Christians, whenever they started celebrating their faith, they would gather and worship in memory of the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why this morning you're here today. 
You might not have ever known that. And you're like, well, I wonder why always we, why is it Sunday and not Tuesday, <laughs> right? It's not just because some of you are off work. Um, <laughs> we get to Jesus, who is the word become flesh. God doesn't just tell us what he's like. He reveals it perfectly through his son, Jesus. And through Jesus, the word is intended to reach all people. As he leaves, he speaks to the disciples and he instructs them to go and to make disciples, to take this message to the ends of the earth. And they faithfully go with their lives and they spread that message. We get to the book of Acts, which talks about the church's expansion. It's the story of the church and how they faithfully preached and proclaimed God's message throughout the world. And then to this day, we still send missionaries to people, groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. They go, they make Bible translations, they go, they preach, and they live out the word of God. The Apostle Paul, he was a, one of the greatest missionaries. He went from city to city, region to region, establishing churches and leaving behind pastors to continually faithfully preach the word of God. Today, you cannot separate the church from true, vital, powerful gospel proclamation. But then the question becomes is what is preaching? Gospel proclamation preaching is one of the expected and commanded elements by God to the church. It's the faithful reading and teaching of God's word and proclaiming the truth that it shows to us. It's called by many things, a sermon, a message, a talk, a homily, a lesson, an exhortation. You can fill in the blank with a lot of different things. But what we know is this, is that it's commanded. Jesus, when speaking to the 12, he says to them, go into all the world and preach the good news. To the early church at Pentecost, he says, all the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to sharing meals. Amen on the sharing meals part. Um, <laughs> right? Church and bacon go well together. Okay, I'm just, <laughs> just saying it. And donuts. Um, Paul to Timothy says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday, we read this earlier, judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage people with good teaching. You see, what is preached matters. At Glad Tidings, um, our, our mission statement is to develop biblically sound believers who reflect Christ's characters, not to make converts to make biblically sound believers. Right now in our day and time, we are in an epidemic of biblical literacy. People just don't know what, I mean, it, it used to be that people would grow up with some sense of what the Bible, you know, talked about. Now people have no concept at all whatsoever, including Christians. So many studies have been done by Barna and other research agencies that have found that the people in the church often have some of the most erroneous beliefs because they don't know what the word of God actually says. And so as a church, one of the things that we're really committed to is teaching the word of God because we want this for your ki the kids that are receiving this today. We want this to become something that's cherished to them. It's something that dives deep, that challenges them at the very heart level and it shapes everything that they think. I just about knocked over a microphone. Everything that they think, everything that they do, everything that they believe. And the truth is this, is that the pastor, the person who's preaching, they're more scrutinized by God, which is terrifying for me. <laughs> In James chapter 3, he challenges them. He says, not many of you should be teachers because you will incur stricter judgment. And the reason for that, it goes back to that. If I am doing the metaphorical 2 plus 2 equals 7, 
and I'm coming to the church and I'm telling you stuff that is absolutely anti what the word of God says, can I tell you something? God cares about that. And you would too. If someone was telling people things about you that weren't true, you would care about it. And it's probably happened to you. How many of you have ever had a conversation where you've said, that's not what I said? You know what I'm talking about? I'll give you a quick little uh, illustration to highlight this. So in high school, um, I had a friend who uh, was one of my best friends. I, I thought was one of my best friends. We were rather close, and at the time I was dating um, what would become my wife, Angel, and um, I was really serious. I liked her a lot, but what I didn't know is that this other friend also liked my wife-to-be. And so he would take things that I had said and then go to her and kind of just twist them a little bit or add in some information that wasn't absolutely true or do all these other, and he had been doing this for like a a span of like months and I had no concept at all whatsoever. Um, And uh, I had dated a girl who like went away for quite a bit of time and she had come back and he started telling her that I was going to break up with Angel to go out with this other girl, right? Never going to happen. Never even remotely was a chance that it was going to happen. Now, one day, I'm walking downstairs. I'm at her house after Sunday uh, church service, and I'm eating lunch with her family, and she's treating me different. I can tell something's going on, and I'm like, what is going on here? So finally, I was like, Angel, what is going on? And she's like, you're going to break up with me. And I'm like, where did that come from? I'm like, no, I'm not. And she starts telling me all these things that he had said that I had said that was not true. You want to talk about like a powder keg in your soul? I was like, what? This is like one of my best friends, right? Anybody ever do something like that to you? Anybody ever taken something that you've said and twisted it a little bit? Who put off a version of you that was absolutely not true to someone else? Can I tell you something? Listen to me. The reason this is so important is because when false teaching does that with God, We send people on a completely different path. We're teaching them something about him that's not true. That's not, we serve the God who is holy, who is just, who is good, who is living and powerful. And he cares greatly about him. And and he has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word. But here's what I found with my friend. The truth was being undermined. Things had been twisted. And things I had never said would even be added to my actual words and meaning They were completely lost. But that's what false teaching does. It undermines, it twists, it adds to what Scripture says that is not there. I'm sure you've been taken out of context. It's no laughing matter. It's no simple thing, and it causes you to get very angry. Have you ever been in an argument where they've added to your words things that you've not actually said, and you're like, hold on. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, pump the brakes. I didn't say that. And you get like feisty, you get angry because you're like, I, you know, you're, you're coming to this. If you know that feeling, you know what I'm talking about, then this is why it's so important for biblical preaching and teaching. Not the pastor getting up there and espousing whatever he thinks or whatever he wants, but going to the truth of what God's word actually says. I want to talk to you just a little bit about, uh, we can throw up the next slide. Um, exodus versus Isagus. Okay, some of you are like, <laughs> okay, there, so there's two different ways in which um, preaching sometimes can happen. One of these is good and one of these is very bad, okay? Exodus means this. It means it's going to the biblical text 
It's listening to the text. It's allowing the meaning to come from the text itself. It's letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay? Now, the question is, what do I mean by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture? It means that we focus on the historical context. We look at who wrote it, why they wrote it, the people they wrote it to, the reasons behind even why they did so. Rather than just grabbing one verse and pulling it out of context or Googling something like, why does God love me, or something like that, and then just grabbing that one verse and running with it, that'd kind of be like, that would be eisegist, and it would be like someone just grabbing one word out of your conversation and saying the whole conversation was about that one word. That's a problem, right? And what we're going to explain to you in just a second, I'm going to show you why that's such a problem. But Exodus goes to that text and it faithfully gets all of its ideas, all of its thoughts, everything from that text, rather than me going, oh, I've got all these ideas that are really great. Let me find a verse, (laughs) right? Now, listen, you laugh, but can I tell you something? In churches right now across the world, that's happening and it's scary. See, the truth of the matter is this. In Exodus, there's a strong pull to make the text mean what it historically, contextually, and in alignment with the whole scope of Scripture means. It means I am not going to the Bible with my thoughts and ideas. I'm going to the Bible to get my thoughts and ideas. Okay? I'm wanting the text to speak and to be heard, not from me and my thoughts to be spoken and heard. I want my thoughts, my ideas, my points of the sermon to be generated from what the text is speaking, not what ideas are swirling in my head. The opposite of this is eisegesis, or other people say it is eisegesis. Rather than finding the meaning in and from the text itself, this method brings meaning to the text, and it's, concerned, it's not concerned with the overall text in general. It doesn't, it doesn't care where it was placed or what. I'm, I'm just going to go to there and find kind of like what I want from it. I'm going to give you two examples of this, okay? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Now listen, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Man, we have taken that verse and run with it. We're like, Everest! I can do it. Listen, if I try to call him Everest, I'm dead. (laughs) Yes, Jesus could grab me and like lift me up, I guess, and put me on the summit. But unless he does that, I'm a popsicle. Okay? (laughs) This guy ain't making it. I'm not cresting the summit. It ain't happening. That's not what that verse is about. And And this is why this matters. If you go to that verse and you read all the verses that surround it, what Paul's talking about is the fact that he says, listen, I've been in situations where I've had a lot. And where I've had little. I've been in situations where God has blessed me more than I can possibly imagine. I've been in situations where I was cold and naked in a jail cell. And he says, I've learned to be content in every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Guess what? Now that verse makes sense because we know the context. But if I rip that verse out and use it for my own doing whatever I want, then, then that becomes a problem because that verse was not intended to be used that way. The other one would be, you probably saw this on your grandma's knitted pillow. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Now that is a beautiful verse. But let me tell you the verse that's right before it. Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, everybody say 70. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. He's writing to a people who are bound in captivity. 
And he's writing to tell them, I know you're praying and I know you're asking, but it's going to be 70 years. And in 70 years, I will come back and I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to fill my promises. And I do have plans for you as a people and they're good. But right now you are under discipline because you have ran from me and you've done some of the most despicable things. But we take sometimes that verse out of context and we're like, ooh, <laughs> it sounds good. We're like, let's just kind of push 29.10 out of the way <laughs> and just grab onto 11. That's a problem. You see, in this method, in the process of reading and interpreting the text, I suggest it adds. It adds my thoughts, my feelings, my ideas, my agendas, my presuppositions, my biases, my cultural ideas, and my context. And the difference between the two is stark and important. The difference from changing the meaning of a text to conform to what I want to believe or conforming what I believe to come into alignment with what the text says. And there's a big difference between the two. If I go to scripture and I want it to become and be what I want it to be, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing what the people in the Old Testament did. I'm getting out my hammer, I'm getting out my chisel, and I'm making my idol. I'm making a God that fits the ideas, the desires, the feelings that I want. But if I go to the text and I say, okay, God, what do you reveal here? Then what I'm doing is I'm handing that chisel to the Holy Spirit. He's able to take my life and chisel me into the image of Jesus. That's so important for us to realize. There's a huge difference between the two. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, not preach your thoughts. And the reason he does so is because we need to establish a firm foundation. Right here I've got giant Jenga. Any Jenga fans in the house? All right, I like it. I love it. Every teen in the room right now is like, I just want to break that. <laughs> right? Now, here's the thing. Um, let's go to the next picture. Um, this is something I built earlier this week. That is this same amount of blocks reaching the ceiling. Kind of proud of my structure. Not going to lie. Let's go back to the previous slide. One more. Sorry. I want to read to you from um, Matthew chapter 7 says, Jesus is writing, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who's building on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, that house will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is a foolish person who builds their house on sand. And the difference between the two is not the difference when you look at the house. The house looks the same. The difference is what happens when the storms come. Okay? Now, here's the thing. When I was a kid, I'm just being honest. This was always my first move. I'm going for this one. <laughs> and I was like, ah. I love some of the looks that's going on right now. They're like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> if you start messing with the foundation early on, what happens? It wavers. It is not strong. It's going to fall. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. No one got hurt. We're okay. I touched two blocks. And the whole thing fell. Because I messed with the foundation. When there is not strong biblical teaching, that's what happens. 
when we are not going back to the foundation, which is God's word, when the pastor, preacher, or whoever is espousing and speaking whatever they think, whatever they want, their values, their biases, their whatever, what they're doing is to the foundation of the church, they're messing with those blocks, okay? And because what they're doing is they're, they're, they're tugging and they're tolling with it. Paul writes to, second, I mean, it's in 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy, he says, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true. You know you can trust those who've taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've been given to you for wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Whenever we go to the Bible and we're not taking the verses in their context, and whenever we're applying meaning that we want to add to it, we're eroding the foundation. We go to God's Word and we say, God, what are you saying? Reveal yourself to me. Would you allow your word to take my life and shape it and mold it, carve it to look more like you and less like me? That's so important. That's again why we have exegetical preaching in our churches. It's because we believe in going to the scripture and allowing the scripture to speak and not the pastor. It's why that's so important. It's also why we, we believe in being biblically sound. We want people to love their Bibles, to be in their Bibles. Listen, my greatest prayer for you is that every day you'd be in the Word of God. You might not always know what it means. That's okay. Come, let's grow together, learn together, dive into the tough questions. The church should be a place that tough questions and doubts are welcome. Bring them. Because here's the thing. I'm not scared of them, and the reason I'm not scared of them is because God's not scared of them. You want to talk about some tough questions, go read the book of Psalms. <laughs> David's like a man after God's own heart, and he's like, God, I've got some stuff for you. <laughs> Let me lay it down. And he's like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> right? God's not scared of your questions. He's just not. And can I tell you something? Not only that, there's a wealth of evidence for your faith and a wealth of evidence for the truthfulness of God's word. This is why we do the gospel project here in this church. Our kids right now, across that hallway, they're hearing God's word. They're learning the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They're every single week, they're going through the story and they're hearing about the truths that are revealed through God's word. And they're seeing how even these stories in the Old Testament point forward to Jesus and what he did and accomplished for us. And the reason for all this, the reason the foundation is so important is because there are wolves. Listen to what Jesus says. All right, so look at this. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We just read about the firm foundation. Let's go to the next slide. Notice the context. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This comes just before it. The sequence we find in Matthew chapter 7 is this. Jesus reveals there's going to be true and false prophets in verses 15 through 20. He talks that there's going to be true and false disciples in verses 21 through 23. And then he talks about the, the wise and foolish builders in 24 through 27. But here in verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying the same thing that Paul said. He said, there's going to be people who are going to come. who are going to try to infiltrate the church. who are going to want to teach what they want to teach and not what the word of God says. And they're ferocious wolves. I want you to think of how creepy of a picture that is. Like you go out to like, I don't know, a, a sheep farm. 
You're in the Australian mountains. They're grazing on the hills, the little white fluffy specks of dust, right? (laughs) And you see the sheep and they're grazing and out of nowhere, you just see this one that looks a little bit different than the rest. And it's just kind of looking around and it's looking for the most plump sheep it can find. And it's a wolf with sheepskin draped over it. That's a scary picture. That's the picture Jesus gives us. He says there's going to be true and false teachers that are going to come. And he's challenging us to stay true to God's word. You, You know how you tell the difference between a true and false teacher? By knowing the real thing. You know how they teach people to spot counterfeit currency? They don't sit there and analyze. They, they, they don't bring before them, here's five different examples of false currency. You know what instead they do at the banks? They hand them the real thing and they say, study this. Because the more you know the real thing, the quicker you are to spot the false thing. And as they look at that currency, as they study that, as they study the dollar, the $20 bill, whatever it is they're studying and they're looking at, as they feel it, as they look at the different markings on it, as they analyze that, as they think through it, as they get become so accustomed to the real thing. I, I've, they've shown examples where like someone has walked up to a teller and they've handed them like fake currency, didn't even look at it. They just felt it and they're like, instantly, right? Because they'd felt the real thing. They had surrounded themselves with it. Listen to me. One of the greatest ways that we can spot false teaching is by being in the word of God, by being in the real thing. We got to be accustomed to it because false teaching is dangerous. Listen to what um, Chalmers says. She says, much of the New Testament and the entire book of Jude is dedicated to helping Christians watch out for, to recognize and avoid sheep-clothed wolves. Have any of you ever heard of the story of the Pied Piper? Piper, not Piper. That's not a word. The Pied Piper. The Pied Piper of Hamlin. It's a story of a town who hired a, an individual to come out and he played his pipe and he would lead the rats out of the town. They were infested with rats and they had issues with it. But after they finished, they chose not to pay him his wages. And he was angry. So he picked up his pipe once again. He played it, but this time, instead of the rats following him, it was the children of the town. And he led them away, and they followed this false person to their destruction, never to be seen again. It's a story that teaches a lesson. See, the the world right now is seeing a mass exodus from the church because we have not taught ourselves and we have not taught our children to recognize, to listen, and to reveal the truth. There's a lot of false teaching that's going around. I'm going to give you just a few. The first is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that the word of God challenges us and tells us that we can pray for basically anything in Jesus' name and it can be ours. Um, first of all, it, it focuses on wealth, health, and happiness. There's a little bit of a problem with that. Actually, there's a big problem with that. <laughs> Let me start with this. Um, who were the people closest to Jesus? The disciples. Did they have wealth, health, and happiness? <laughs> no. All 12 of them, for the most part, were murdered um, for their faith in Jesus. I wouldn't call that health. Um, Peter, history tells us he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same manner that Jesus did. Some of them were sawed in half. A few of them were speared to death. John, the lucky one, got boiled alive, but he didn't die if you want to call that lucky. (laughs) Wealth, 
They didn't really have that either. Happiness, ooh. Can we just abandon the idea of happiness as our ultimate goal? Let me explain what I mean by that. <laughs> have you noticed how just about anything can affect your happiness? Right? Pre and post coffee, I'm a different person. <laughs> right? <laughs> you take a couple sips of that Joe and you're like, oh, well, hello. The day's a little bit better now, right? No, that, that's a problem, right? No, the Bible does not offer you happiness. The Bible offers you joy. Because joy will sustain you even in the darkest of times when you're not happy. Joy will hold you when you're in a jail cell after you've been stripped naked and beaten for your faith and you're sitting there and you're singing at midnight, okay? There's a difference between joy. And listen to me, that's why it's so important. But if we buy into the false teaching that God is for our health, wealth, and happiness, then guess what that means? If I don't have health or I don't have wealth or I don't have happiness, then that can only mean that God's mad at me. There's a problem with that. That's not what the Bible teaches. That would mean that God was mad at all the disciples, hated their guts. Paul, oh, he really didn't like him then, right? Okay, then there's the hyper grace movement. The hyper grace movement basically says that like you can do whatever you want. It doesn't even matter. Just sin, sin, sin. Come to God as you are and never, ever change. Don't worry about it because God's grace is sufficient. Well, then there's Paul who says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to live holy lives, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know God's will. There's, there's an issue there. There's progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity right now is one of the, the things that is creeping into church, and, and you wouldn't even know it, but there's churches all across the landscape right now that are progressive Christian churches. Progressive Christianity holds that the Bible isn't really God's word. It's a good thing to kind of base our life off of a little bit, um, but most of it isn't true. They would deny the virgin birth. They would deny like the full-on resurrection. They would deny uh, countless other core tenets of the Christian faith. And they would say, we need to go to God's word, but we need to kind of, we need, we've evolved since then. We know more about God because of who we are now. So we can take the scripture and we can change it. And it needs to, we need to apply it to where it applies and get rid of where it doesn't. There's a problem there. There's a pipe being played. And there's people buying into it. There's liberal theology. There's, there's legalism. We just spent three months looking at legalism in the church, looking through the book of Galatians and how anytime you add to salvation Jesus plus anything but Jesus, that's legalism. But what they all have in common is they bend and they twist Scripture. They take it out of context. They apply their own meaning to it rather than allowing the text speak. And the, all they have in common is they misuse the word of God. But you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from your childhood, Paul says. See, we need to be biblically sound, reflecting Christ. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, listen to what Paul has to say about Scripture. He doesn't say it's a, a compilation of a few good ideas. He says all Scripture is inspired by God. Other versions say God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is true, and to make us what's realize what's wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do right. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good thing. The necessity of biblically sound preaching cannot be overemphasized. He says to Timothy, you've been taught the scripture since you were young. Keep teaching them that way. See, the Holy Spirit works 
in the church, as the preaching takes place and the truth is revealed, as we dive into God's word and as we see God revealed through his word in truth and in power, lives can be changed. Because here's, what I, here's the truth. We cannot truly reflect Christ if we are not biblically sound. That would be like me trying to tell people about you, but picking just a few attributes of you that's true, and then adding in whatever I want. That's a little bit of a problem. It'd be like me describing Keenan going, he's not a redhead. <laughs> right? It'd be like me going and talking about something that, and I, and I would say, well, you know, what red really meant by that is, and then psh, put whatever I want in there. Or it sounds a lot like this in the culture today. The God that I believe in, no, no, the God that scriptures reveals. See, Israel had that same mistake. They tried to create often gods that they wanted to believe in, that they wanted that would fit what they exactly wanted instead of the God that was fully revealed to them through Scripture. It's so important for us because if we go to God's word and if we are biblically sound, then we can reflect him because then I can show and I can speak truth, but I can speak it in love. I can reveal God to a world that so desperately needs him, but I can show it in a way that makes sense. So what does a biblically sound message kind of look like? Number one, it's a challenge to the pastor to go, what does the text actually say? Not what do I want to say? What does the text say? It's a look at the actual words, even going back to the Hebrew and the Greek, and it's looking at multiple different translations, desiring to convey to the body, what does this text actually mean? Then it's what does the scripture mean? An example would be Galatians. The goal was for us to look at what it meant for the early readers. We spent a lot of time talking about circumcision in this room because it mattered. And we understood why. Because when we went back to the text and we saw what it was saying, it made sense to where we are. But if we started where we are and tried to make the text make sense to us, that's a problem. Then there comes to the question of how do I convey the message? What methods, illustrations, or memorial lines and visuals can I use as a pastor to bring out that truth as I'm preaching? Hence, a tower falling. See, in the process of this, as we're looking at this, and I'm thinking through, okay, I want to, this week as I was preparing, I'm like, I want to convey to them the seriousness of what happens whenever we buy into false teaching. Can I just tell you something? Listen to me. Look at this. That right there is a perfect example of countless Christian lives right now. Kids going off to college that their very first semester, the professor looks at them and goes, everything you've believed in is a lie. It's a bunch of made-up fairy tales. And you know what they look like? This. Just pieces. But if we can build a strong foundation, if we can plant ourselves on the word of God, if we know that it's real and true, not because our mommies and daddies told us to, not because a pastor up there, but we dive into God's word. If we look and we see how true and how historically accurate it is, then what we're doing is we're building a tower that will stand. We're building, we're building our lives on the sure foundation, God's word. And when the rain, not, notice not if, when the rain comes, when the storms rise, when someone they love dies, when their face is challenged to the brink, when they feel like their life is falling apart at the seams, 
They're not hanging on to, well, I was told that my life was supposed to be health, wealth, and happiness. <laughs> Instead, they have truth to hang on to, and they go, no, no, no. I'm planting my feet firmly here. Satan, come what you may. Storms, come what you may. I'm grounded on God's word. You can't move me because I'm holding on to something that's stronger than me. My God says he's for me, not against me. Even if I'm in the jail cell. And then that holds us true and we don't have shipwrecked lives. See, a pastor then not only thinks about how to convey the message, but thinking through what are some of the resistance that he finds in himself or the church might find in themselves. Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to ask for forgiveness? Where have we strayed from reflecting Christ in a more true way? And then always pointing to Jesus. All scripture points to the life and work of Christ. The reason this is so important is because mission is derived from message. If we could send and start having, we're going to bring the kids in here in just a second. So um, I think Deanna's grabbing them if she's in the room. We're going to send and go have them come in and here. What the church does should come from what the church believes. Let me say that again. What the church does should come from what the church believes. Listen to me. We feed the hungry. We care for widows and orphans and the unborn. We pray for the sick. We love the outcast. We meet the needs of other people. We welcome anyone who comes in just as they are, and we, we show God's love to them and pray that God would slowly change them through his word. We do that not because it's nice things we should do. Though they are, don't get me wrong. <laughs> All those are very nice things, but we do so because we believe in a God who revealed that's what love looks like. You know where I get my ability to forgive someone? It sure is not in Josh's power or ability. I'm able to show forgiveness and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness, even sometimes on the most worst sins that have been committed against me, not because I'm, I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I'm, today I'm going to be tough, Josh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive well today. No, I do so because I realize there's a, a God in heaven who met me at my absolute worst and declared over me in that moment my absolute best. In that area of your life where you know how broken you were, maybe no one even knows about it, and you're like terrified it would ever come to the surface, that area that like you're so broken in, in your past. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. God didn't just forgive you of that. He revealed who he was by doing that. And in doing so, as we look at him and what he's done, it gives us power then to do that to the people who surround us. I have the power to love, the power to forgive, the power to show grace and mercy because of what Christ has done in me. You see, mission is derived from the messages. We dive into God's word and we say, okay, God, this is who you are revealed to me. Would you now take this broken vessel and somehow use it the Bible talks it as like treasure that's in jars of clay. Clay's pretty dirty. You ever played with clay before? 
Your hands get some, like, they get disgusting. They're slimy, they're grimy. God takes us, the clay, the slimy, the grimy, the disgusting, the dirty, and he plants treasure inside of it. And that treasure is his himself. It's his word, it's truth, and it's revealed. And that's why it's so important for us to realize that the mission is derived from the message. This time our kids are going to come in. We have Bibles to give out today. So parents, um, we're going to have all the angel. We're going to have the elementary that are getting Bibles today on this side. And then those who are going into sixth grade come on this side. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. We've been saying that we want to be a church that's biblically sound and that's reflecting Christ. That's not just lip service. That's something that we truly believe in. Kids, today you're going to receive a Bible, and if you want, you can start passing them out, that um, is designed specifically for your reading level, your age group. And what you're receiving, this is not just some ordinary book. This is not like maybe fairy tale books that you've read about in other instances or even textbooks that you've received in school. This book for centuries has changed people's lives because through it, God's word, lives are changed and stories are forever, forever altered. As we dive into God's word, we are discovering who he is. And not only do we discover who he is, we, we see a little glimpse of who we are. And then God challenges us and speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and, and, and challenges us and shows us how we can continue to change and become more like him. It's through his word that God is revealed. It's through his word that we are changed. David said it this way, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Jesus himself, whenever he was tempted by the enemy, he fired back at him each and every time with a verse out of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. Jesus God used the word to fight the enemy. And the truth is, so can we. There's going to come times in your life where things might get scary or you might feel like you've lost your way or, or don't know. Can I plead with you? Go back to the word. Go back to his word because it's living, it's true, it's powerful, it's mighty. It's like a double-edged sword to attack your enemy with. And today as you're presented with these we're praying and believing that God's going to continue to shape and mold you to be the people he's called you to be. Church, would you stand with me this morning and just extend a hand out as I pray for them. Parents, I encourage you, pray for those in your midst. Church, as I'm praying, I encourage you, let's stand behind this group and let's believe and plead God's best over their lives. And all the kids on the floor, this is going to be you one day. You're going to come up here and we're going to pray and believe over you and present you with a Bible because we believe in the power of God's word. Church, would you join with me? Father, today, Lord, we pray for these parents right now. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that God, you would give them wisdom for the toughest of days. Lord, I pray that they would in their home build a firm foundation. Lord, because there is going to come rain. There is going to come storms. There's going to be things that beat across the house of their children. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow these parents to stack some wood around the bonfire of their kids' hearts so that one day when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, it'll ignite into an inferno. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom on, 
the battles that they choose in the process of disciplining. I pray that you give the parents wisdom as they, Lord, guide and lead and reveal your love and your kindness and your goodness to their children. Would you be by their side? And Lord, today now we pray for these kids and these students. Jesus, we ask that right now you would raise up future warriors for your kingdom. Lord, I see across the front today, I see future pastors and missionaries, future doctors and auto mechanics. I see future, Lord, people who work at banks and, Lord, who do insurance. Lord, I see people who are going to make an impact in this world and in this culture for you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would raise them up to love you with their whole heart. God, I pray that God's word would hold true to them, that, Lord, you would... Lord, as they read your word, as they get it into their heart, that, Lord, they would hide deep inside them so that they would, Lord, it would guard them against sin and temptation. And Jesus, today, I pray that you would continue to shape them and mold them to be the young women and the young men you have called them to be. Lord, we love them, we believe in them, and we thank you for their lives. Guard them and keep them close to you, we pray in your precious and most holy name. Amen. Would you stay standing? And kids, you can stand with us as well. Everybody in the front, if you want, you can kind of come towards the front row and just turn around. We're going to end by singing this song we closed with last week, and it's just called Breathe. And in this song, we're learning that we're being challenged that God's word is our daily bread. And I want us to sing this song as a close of the church. This is more than just words. This is being challenged to love him more every day. So let's let's close this song. Uh, worship team, if, if you are somewhat around and can make your way forward, that'd be awesome. But we're gonna close out this song. I wanna thank you so much for coming today. If this is your first time here, please see us at the Welcome Center. We've got a gift for you. It's an honor to have you worshiping with us today. We really do believe that God is at work in Hartford City and that lives are being changed and stories are being forever altered. If you do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and worship with us on a weekly basis. If you do have a church home, go there. Be a blessing to your church. Make an impact. Serve, give, and, and do everything you can to see God make an impact for the kingdom. We love you so much.